these technologies are implemented sometimes without critically thinking of their effects. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Connected Podcast, where we share the inspirational stories of educational leaders working all around the world. My guest this week is Nikki Miller, who is a secondary instructor working at an international school in Prague. Nikki speaks about datafication in education, and I think this is a super relevant, of course, and timely topic, as many teachers are finding ways to move their classroom practice in a digital space. We find ourselves using educational technology more often than probably ever before, partly out of necessity, partly maybe out of curiosity. I I find myself, you know, sort of playing around with different tools and trying to use different strategies um, as a way to keep students engaged. At least that's what I'm intending to do. But Nikki brings, uh, I think, a really valuable perspective and gives us some warning about the overuse of these ed tech tools, especially educational technology that's coming from private organizations who um, often use or, or, or sometimes use student data as, um, you know, for marketing and, and, and in ways that we as teachers may not be entirely familiar with. I have to admit that this is a topic that I'm not really familiar with. You know, we think about child protection and child safety issues as something that you know happens within a classroom within a school building and I think a lot of us are faced maybe for the first time to really confront what it means to be critical about the technology that we're using and how that technology influences uh, our students in in potentially negative ways. So I, I hope that you look forward to the conversation with Nikki and uh, it was a really interesting one. I, I think it, it provides a nice counterbalance to the conversation I had with my guest Mira a few episodes ago, who gave us some really effective strategies for e-learning. Um, but before we get into the episode, maybe I wanted to share some of my own personal feelings at the moment. We are fortunately here in Norway getting ready to r- return to school. Fortunately, for the sake of public health, obviously, and for the sake of students who may be at risk, um, who certainly miss their friends in the kind of structured environment of the school. I, I think it's, I, we're very lucky here in Norway that um, the, the government response and the civil response was, I think, effective in many ways. And so that we're able to kind of come back and return to, to the school building in the next couple of weeks. At least that's how it seems for now. But I have to say there is, at least on my side, um, a great deal of ambivalence about the prospect of returning to something like normalcy because over the last several weeks, you know, in conversations with colleagues, in communications on, you know, social media or with educators working all around the world, it's, it felt like there was something really critical happening. I think that's still true. But some of the critical questions, like the structures were removed. The content was only valuable in the sense that it might help our students that very day, dealing with this 
particular crisis. So my lessons, um, I teach literature in secondary school. My lessons were, uh, they felt so purposeful and meaningful. And, and of course, those same elements are, are there in the classroom practice as um, traditional classroom face-to-face instruction. They're often there. You know, we, we talk about literature as having value and understanding our own emotions, understanding each other, offering us good, wider perspectives about the world. But, but in this environment, it somehow seemed more urgent. And I think some of the outside expectations about what the classroom environment needed to be were at least temporarily removed. I worry that we might lose sight of the important information that we may have gathered as educators during this crisis. And maybe more than worry, I'm, I don't know, uh, feeling like this is a critical moment as we return back to school. How can we promote these conversations? Because I, I understand the fatigue. I think there must be a real need for many in senior leadership, many teachers on the teaching staff to sort of return to the comfort of traditional operating structures. And by the way, I say this with all sympathy. Like these are senior leaders, teachers, educators who have been facing crisis day after day after day and must be fatigued, must be. But I don't think that takes away from the urgency of getting these insights put into our practices when things return to a normal operating uh, condition. Uh, You know, there's so much to think about here. I'm thinking about the way we use assessment, the way assessment influences university decisions, the way parents are expecting education to look and feel. But something has changed, at least from my perspective. The things that I know to be true, where I help students or we as a group help to negotiate meaning, understand how to think very critically about what we're, underst- what we're reading or uh, in- encountering, how to write persuasively and understanding our own arguments but also how to move through life in a social way to look for new opportunities to overcome these challenges. These were always like in the background of teaching practice. These were always there. But over the last few weeks, they felt so so urgent, as I've said, and so immediate. You know, the things that were always in the background of education for, for a time have been foregrounded. And I don't want to put them back when we return to the building. I I don't want to return to the structures, not all of the structures, because some of them weren't working. Some of them were there because we were afraid of examination boards or how assessment might be viewed or how we as educators or as a, a school might be evaluated from the outside. Of course, I'm not getting away from evaluation, but I, but I think evaluation for the right goals, uh, evaluation on the right things. And um, 
maybe what I'm really asking rather than sort of just being worried about, maybe what I'm asking is how do we use this moment as a, a leverage point? How do we as individual teachers or small groups of teachers working at an institution bring this up to senior leadership or leaders or other educators who are just happy to be back, happy that we've found a way to incorporate a few new tools and that now we can get back to the business of education as we knew it before. And again, that's not a criticism of, of that viewpoint, but but I think that viewpoint is is in some ways has not helped the students overcome this crisis, has not helped them find ways to negotiate, understand themselves. Hmm. I'm curious how others are feeling at the moment. I'm curious how you intend or will intend to start these conversations in your staff groups and your organizations. I'm sure there's lots to say. So I want to introduce my guest this week, Nikki Miller, to the show. Um, Nikki, thanks for coming on. Can you first of all give us a little bit of background about who you are and, and what you're up to these days? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me, first of all. Um, um, my name is Nicky Miller. I'm originally from Ireland, uh, but I currently work and have worked in the Czech Republic for about four years now, uh, working in a private international school. And I'm uh, an environmental science teacher, and I also um, am a colleague of yours on the MEL program. Um, and yeah, I've, I've, I've had interests in uh, safeguarding and child protection for quite a long time since my undergraduate studies. So th- those are those are areas uh, apart from digitalization that I'm I'm quite interested in. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you today, especially about this child protection as it relates to digitalization, and maybe just the field of digitalization and education in general. Uh, last week, I had um, I had Mira from our group as well speaking about some of the things working in e-learning platforms. So I think it's really important to see from a critical perspective some of the dangers of that. So first of all, can you talk a little bit about the field of digitalization uh, and education? Have you seen it as you've seen it so far, and maybe what's been happening as a result of this uh, crisis? Yeah, uh, well, obviously it's it's quite new to me as well, and and it it seems to be an opening field, uh, quite a new opening field. Uh, an exponentially growing field um, due, due to the amount of technology that's being introduced in, in schools. It's also an ex- exponential growth of, of technologies that are being introduced to. So I think um, th- there's a few issues that, that I see um, that I'm interested in and, and I've, I've kind of mostly been drawn to that sort of literature. Um, and I think that the main issues that I see are that, that teachers particularly in the schools that I've worked in are or feel inadequately trained or feel continually inadequately trained to to deal with these technologies when they're introduced into schools, um, sometimes by leaders or managers who don't think about it or just basically assume that the, the teachers will be able to use the technology or are uh, digitally literate. Of course, there's many definitions for that as well, being digitally literate, but they assume that 
um, the teachers will be able to to utilize the technology to benefit learning. But I think, and by reading some of the literature, that that's not the case. Um, and this assumption by school leaders that it it's kind of like this ed tech will be a kind of a sticky plaster for this problem. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's not turning out that way. It's that it's creating maybe more problems than solutions in some cases, some cases, not all cases. What do you think, what do you think the driver is? I mean, maybe speaking before this entire crisis unfolded, what do you think has been maybe a main driver of why it's so attractive to adopt these kinds of ed tech um, tools? And and I've seen the same trend, like, especially in working in private schools, like you have, there's a real excitement around these kinds of tools. Why? Uh, I I think, First of all, it's it's attractive. It's the aesthetics of it. Um, from our perspective in our school, it's kind of like it's quite quite nicely. It's shiny, and um, let, let's try it out and see how it goes, rather than thinking critically about it before we implement it. But I also think it's it's the, the major the major reasons that technologies like this are implemented is because it's a centralization. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows more efficient education, and I use that word carefully um, because in some cases not so much efficient education Um, school leaders bring ed tech in in order to centralize for example marking um, assessment uh, records of assessment sometimes safeguarding issues as well Um, uh, and also trackers student trackers um, in terms of uh, cognitive ability of students throughout their school lives if they stay in that school for quite a long time. So I, I can see a lot, a lot um, in the schools that I've worked in um, that they they like to collect data a lot on the students and to to build a picture of the students through data. Um, and this is this is a growing trend. So yeah, I think I think that, that to summarize the main the main drivers of bringing in ed tech are centralization from school leaders to to kind of um, be able to. Uh, see and control a little bit easier of what's going on in their school uh, and also the assessment aspect it's kind of it's it's a drive for assessment to be to, to have more effective assessment i mean from at least from the outside or from thinking about it it seems like those are all very attractive appropriate goals i mean having good data good assessment strategies that's all wonderful so I, why do you think there's like a gap between educational leaders who are bringing those tools in and maybe teachers on the ground who are actually asked to be able to utilize them. These technologies are implemented sometimes without critically thinking of their effects. And for, for, for a student, let's say, for example, a student who is quite, I, I would call them a data roller coaster. If you look at their assessment graphs, they kind of go up and then down and up and then down. They're sort of unpredictable students uh, in terms of data. So they'll get 30% in this test and then they'll get 78% in the next test. Those kind of students, I feel, are, are kind of left out because uh, before you were, they, those, those students were assessed more on the basis of the teacher. So the teacher would have a grasp of how that student would perform uh, over a long, longer period of time. Whereas the data, um, if you have these sorts of students, it's much harder to predict them um, in terms of assessment. Um, I also I also think that there's the other major issue of datafication. So a lot of these platforms are brought in by school leaders, but school leaders aren't experts in data mm-hmm. or how data is sold or 
um, how data is used for corporate benefit. So I feel that school leaders, first of all, don't understand it. And second of all, don't have time to go into the specific terms and conditions that they're signing a school up for. Uh, and that's that's one of my major concerns um, that tech, tech companies uh, are obviously financially driven. And first of all, they'll get money out of the school. And second of all, they'll be able to sell third-party data um, if it's not in, in the contract. I, I want to get into that a little bit more, but I want to say like, also, this is something I'm really having some trouble with myself. I, um, you know, we're in this situation where we're sort of forced to use these third-party applications or these tools just by necessity to have some kind of face-to-face contact with my students. So I, I like am so, so aware of the ramifications of this sort of data collection, but find myself as an individual teacher sort of thinking like, well, it's a trade-off I, I have to make, right? Like how would, how do you respond to that or how do you how do you confront that in your own work? Yeah, I think I mean these are exceptional circumstances. It's not mm-hmm. what what I'm saying is probably not applicable at this time because it's it's a very desperate situation that a lot of educators are are finding themselves in um and it, it's it, it's I I feel that it's getting worse because I I've introduced my students at the start of this emergency to certain platforms and obviously I haven't been able to control what they click. So whether they've accepted or rejected their cookies, for example, um, under, well, in Europe, we have the GDPR, um, so they can accept or decline third-party cookies. So I, I don't know if they've, they've, they've even protected the privacy that way. And then I find myself now that I've, I'm having to introduce new platforms just to keep the, the students entertained on the e-learning platforms, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, maybe they're even, um, they're, they're going, they're, they're sharing even more data around different platforms. So that, that's what I'm concerned about at the moment. Um, but then again, back to the original point, we don't really have a choice at the minute. It's very hard. No, but I mean, in, actually in support of your claim, I, I, I'm in complete agreement. I think it's even more of a time to be critical of the, of the kinds of applications that we're using and maybe asking questions about why we're using this. Yeah. I, it, and there, there's, loads of evidence out there of uh, a lot lot yeah there's evidence and there's lots of reasons why we shouldn't be using um certain platforms for example the the class dojo paper that we read for for our course um about the datafication of students and the possible repercussions of for for students in the future based on their behavioral data in kindergarten for example um i mean i mean these are these are possibilities but there's also the solid evidence of data leaks, uh, for example, in the UK with um, students' data was leaked to gambling companies um, in two, two or three months ago. And that, that's just ridiculous that, that uh, underage children, the children who are not allowed to gamble, their data was leaked to, obviously for financial gain to, to companies who are, who are then going to benefit from that data in a few years time when these these students start to use gambling platforms and i i kind of also see i mean we're in the infancy of gdpr and i don't really know very much about gdpr apart from the the training sessions that i've taken but from what i get a picture of is that how do we police gdpr i mean how do, how do we know companies are not collecting cookies and then selling it on black markets and, and for, for, for profit. I, I think it's, it's such a scary thing. And, and I think as, a, as an educator who doesn't, I mean, I don't know so much about digitalization and these online platforms and the ramifications of cookies, but 
I think maybe sometimes it feels like, a, unfortunately, a future problem. Uh, it's difficult to contextualize. Can you maybe give us, as teachers, some of the things that we practically need to be concerned about? I think from from a safeguarding um, perspective, I've been I've been looking recently at some definitions of what safeguarding is, what what it should be, um, child protection, etc. So safeguarding is is I'm just paraphrasing here, but generally defined as uh, protecting children from harm, whether that's emotional, psychological, physical, um, and also manipulative behavior, um, which I think comes under the the last word I used there, manipulative comes under uh, what we see happening with the datafication or the, the collection of data from students and children. Um, because we know that it's happened, uh, to adults. Um, well, actually not, not just adults because you're allowed to use Facebook at the age of 13. So we know from the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal that data was used, um, to, to create emotional profiles, to specifically target people to, to vote in a particular way. That that's what the data that the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal was. And my, my concerns are that 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 same sort of datafication and personalization of your data in order to emotionally influence you is a safeguarding issue that teachers need to be aware of, first of all, and second of all, need to be trained um, to teach children to to recognize when they're being emotionally manipulated uh, and to recognize when, when their data has been used to emotionally manipulate them. And we, we can see that we see this examples of this every day when you go onto Facebook and you see an advertisement for a lawnmower and you think, oh, I, I was talking about lawnmowers in my WhatsApp group <laughs> to my friends. And and then you you make, you make put two and two together and you realize, oh yeah, uh, Facebook own WhatsApp. So obviously there's been a, a, a data sharing there and then they've, they've personalized my advertisement to to make me or to convince me to buy a lawnmower so yeah that, that that's what i'm concerned about the most egregious example from from mine i uh one time i was talking about bok choy the <laughs> this veg, obscure vegetable that i never eat and all of a sudden i had some advertisement uh, i was terrifying but yeah i mean i don't mean to joke about it because it, it it is really scary especially when you're thinking about connecting our students uh, directly with these tools, these platforms. I mean, we as teachers are the ones who are asking students to join up or click the link. So what do you say for teachers who are faced with this? Like, what, what do we do? And I'm thinking especially as things begin to return to whatever normal looks like, how do we as teachers now incorporate strategies for students to, to identify these kinds of uh, tactics or tools? Yeah, it's, it's hard. Um... First of all, I think there's many teachers out there that aren't uh, literate to to the issues, um, and particularly some teachers that I actually see sharing things um, on Facebook that are false, um, and then asking those teachers to then teach critical media literacy mm-hmm. to students, students in their classroom according to their subject is a very difficult thing to ask a teacher who who has not got those skills to do. Um, it's, for example, it's like asking me as an environmental scientist to teach um, history. So it's, it, it requires a different skill set. It's definitely going to be a grassroots problem. And it is, sorry, it is a grassroots problem and it's going to be a grassroots solution, I feel, as people become more aware of this, as teachers become more aware of this themselves and then personally become 
more critically digitally literate themselves. Uh, and then I think that they'll realize that it is a big issue and that they will start pushing those skills. E even through hidden curriculum, they, they might start pushing those skills in their classroom. And I think, mm -hmm. I think that those frontier teachers and those those amazing innovators on on the front line of teaching have the skill sets to do that and i think especially young teachers have the skill sets to do that so i think it it lies in grassroots professionals um and then it perhaps will trickle up the chain but i i also think that there'll be a resistance between the front and higher up the chain because uh departments of education and uh, educational authorities like data. So I, I think there'll, there'll be a bit of a, a pushback that way. I, I think the, the observation is really important about like what teachers are, are going to have to think about doing. But I, I wonder uh, sort of how you'd respond to educational institutions who would say, well, yeah, well, we're, you, we need that data to make good decisions, to allocate funding, to see what's happening in our uh, big assessments. To understand whether or not where our grade boundaries for something simple are are right, how, how would you respond to that? Yeah, I think I think to to a certain extent, uh, data is good. I mean, I, I'm not blasting data because I I use it for for my teaching. I think I think that uh, educational data in terms of um, usage uh, locally in a classroom or locally in a department um, is good. Hmm. Uh, for further afield, my my views of assessment are a little bit. Um, radical in, ter in terms of the, the and that, that's a whole different conversation about the the <laughs> formative versus summative uh but yeah i i think my feeling at the at the minute is that education is quite based on summative assessment um especially at the post 16 level um for example GC, for, i'm uk trained so gcse's a levels um that they're very much heavy on summative assessment and then uh, the the data used from those summative assessments is then it basically follows students throughout their lives. So I feel that that's that's a wrong approach to education. Um, that it should be much more formative um, rather than data collection. It should, should be much more based on the the teacher. The teacher who has taught the student should be assessing the student or should have the most say in what that student's grade should be. But that's that's a conversation for a different time. Just going away from more on. Um, how teachers collect data to to benefit their classrooms or uh, benefit their classroom teaching. I think from a, the perspective of using these platforms for that purpose, for for the benefit of classroom teaching, I feel that there's the other side of data collection um, where these companies are collecting student data, not just their summative grades or formative uh, feedback, but also th they'll be collecting data based on eye movements, uh, uh, sc screen clicks, uh, I can't remember the, the right term for it, but uh, what, what you click on, how, how much you move your mouse, etc. Um, what you click on in their in their platform, um, what advertisements perhaps that you click on in their platform as well. And I think that, that, that there will be a localized response to these data breaches um, and we'll see schools, schools being locally hit by these data breaches or, or perhaps like we had in England where we had a, a massive breach uh, with the gambling companies and and i think it's important that we we try to be preemptive um against these data breaches rather than reactive uh, and that's that ties into my safeguarding 
issue that I think that this needs to be tied into schools' safeguarding policies, where they really need to vet these platforms very thoroughly, not just because on their reputation, but also on their terms and conditions that they, the schools agree to. I think this is a really important message and, and a really key takeaway. One of the things I'm really concerned about, like you've mentioned, like we've we've kind of lowered the gates here a little bit during this crisis, and it's going to be really difficult to roll some of those things back when we think about the kinds of connections that schools are making with these platforms or these tools. So I'm wondering how we wind this back or how we wind down thinking about setting good policy for the future once this crisis is over. What what are some strategies are you thinking about or what's on your mind um, as you have conversations with leadership at your school or other colleagues? I think... Um, first of all, it's hard to have conversations over the computer, as you know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's but, right. Um, I, I can, first of all, I can't wait to get back to school to talk about what's been happening and 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 the issues that we've all been having in person with oh, with yeah. my colleagues because that that's one of the massive things that I I really value about my job is that I'm able to share so much with my colleagues, um, especially in person. So, um, I think that that's going to be good. But I, I feel we are going to have to talk about this issue at some stage about how these digital platforms have now been introduced into the school. Um, we need to question whether we keep using them or whether we keep using some of them. And then I think we need to question um, the, efficac- sorry, the, the effectiveness of these platforms in, in classroom teaching um, and also the, the safeguarding issues behind them, the datafication of, of the children. What happens if we get this wrong? What are you most concerned about? I think the thing I'm most concerned about is that if if we, we don't teach the students now to think critically about the technology that we're using, I feel like more and more the ed tech that we're using will try to convince us otherwise uh, <laughs> to not think critically about the technology that we're using. I feel it's it's becoming a little bit of an attack on on critical thinking in the classroom, and we we seem to be we we had seemed to be moving in a critical direction with education, um, where students could could I, oh, I feel in my classroom that my I allowed my students to be very critical of me, and I feel that that's the right thing to do, and and if they're critical of me, I feel that they should have the right to be critical of the technology that they're using also in the classroom. Um, and of the methods that we're u- the school leaders are using as well, they have every right to do that. And I feel that if we if we're not critical of the ed tech now, that it will become dominant, and it will it will start to direct te- teachers to teach in a certain way. Yeah, and it will take away autonomy from teachers. Sorry, it will take away autonomy from educational leaders, and it will take away autonomy from classroom teachers. And then eventually, through that, it will take away students' autonomy as well to be critical thinkers. You've just highlighted, I mean, so well and so articulately this this issue, and it, it's funny because I actually, I I had to admit to myself, especially in the early weeks of this thing happening, like there were a couple of lessons I can distinctly remember. Oh, here's a tool. Let's. This is not what I had planned, mm-hmm. but, but here's a tool. Let's try this. Mm-hmm. Let's see how this works. And I can forgive myself because you know we were all in the middle of everything else, but. It's a dangerous idea that somehow my curriculum, the thing that I've worked on for the last 15 years could be disrupted because here's this new big shiny tool. So I have some kind of sympathy for those who are, who are, who are you know, educational leaders are thinking, let's try this. This looks great. This is solve our problems. But 
the way you've articulated this issue is something that I'm, I think you've, you've really hit the nail on the head here. Yeah, I'm by no means an expert in this. I've just only read about this um, for the past, let's say, four weeks, and this is this is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel there's there's many studies out there on different platforms already, um, crit- critical studies on on platforms already, and it's just it's quite, to be honest, it's quite scary um, the power that these platforms um, can ha- can have and could have in the future if if we're not very critical of them now. So. Maybe on a more optimistic note, what are some what are some of the way, things that you might hope for? Like, what's the best case scenario as educational leaders, as teachers, as we move forward? We took this experience, and in five years, we're incorporating educational technology in a certain kind of way. What is that way in the most optimistic uh, future? I think, I I think we, the the biggest the biggest thing I would wish that school leaders and and departments of education and and, and school authorities to, or districts uh, wherever you're listening um, I, I think the biggest benefit or the big, the biggest thing that they could do to to address this issue would to just be slow down uh, and to to stop as soon as soon as a platform comes to you and advertises their platform as this shiny new thing obviously they've got financial interest um the the best thing that these leaders can do is just be critical slow down um think about it carefully before they implement it into schools uh, and to think about the ethics behind the platform to take it from different directions Mm -hmm. to think how is this going to benefit our students in this way this way this way and this way and how does it disadvantage students this way, this way, this way, and this way? There's massive socioeconomic equality issues surrounding ed tech as it is. So I feel that um, educational leaders need to be careful to take these considerations um, before before they implement something into a school rather than just hurriedly implement it to, to put, it, as I said at the start, to put a sticky plaster on a problem that they think exists but actually are causing other problems in, at the same time. It's really true, and I, I can think of so many examples with all the best intentions of of these kinds of data tools being used. And almost in every case, three years later, we use it for one thing. Yeah, you know, there's a platform for one thing and not for another. Yeah, so I have I I could tell you of there's about twenty five bookmarks in my browser of things that we don't use that we that were introduced. <laughs> yeah, this will be the thing that will solve our problems. Yeah. Nikki, thanks so much for your time today. Is there any other final thoughts or words of wisdom you'd like to share? Uh, I'm not very wise, <laughs> so I, I can't think of anything at the moment. No, sorry. I uh, I really, really appreciate your time on this. I, I, I hope you enjoy this much, as much as I did. Thank you very much, Scott. Once again, I'd like to extend a huge thank you to Nikki Miller, who was generous with his time and insights. Uh, There's quite a lot in there for me to reflect on, and I hope there was value in there for you as well. If you did find value, could you please like, subscribe, leave a comment, five stars, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere you're listening to podcasts, everywhere you're listening to podcasts. Uh, If you're interested in in becoming a guest on the show, I would be very interested in having you as uh, conversations extending far and wide is really the purpose of the show. So uh, please get in touch with me at theconnectedpodcast.com. 
Okay, music on the show, as always, is by the band Broke for Free. This is called Ad And. Wishing you all the best until next week. 